Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm feeling a little tipsy-topsy. And I am Croke Monchain. Welcome to episode 229, World War III, 1996. 60 men. Three rings. One battle royal. Total, total destruction. Oh there's a total destruction of my time and well-being. <laughs> At least there's not three giants. At least there's not three giants. There's some. There's three rings. There's three rings. There's there's a couple of big men in there. They're not only three rings. Just like previous World War threes, there's uh, three commentating tables. At least for the main event. So this is the second annual World War Three produced by WCW. It would take place on November 24th, 1996, from the Norfolk Scope in Norfolk, Virginia, with an attendance of 10,314 people. That's a pretty good number. Yeah. It's not too bad. And think, if they had only had one ring, they probably could have done another couple thousand. Probably. Because <laughs> I was like looking at that seating arrangement, because like, would Jag in yeah. on that one... On that second yeah, they're ring. like, all right, how many seats can we fit in here? I mean, like... 17 like, front row seat sections. Sad. Because, you know, front row on one side, and then you don't know what the hell is happening <laughs> yeah, all the way on like the two, other side of those a ring other and a half in, in the way of your view after that. <clears throat> I mean, if you had watched it at home, you didn't really have much of a better... Very true. <laughs> better view either. Yeah, at least for the <laughs> main event. for the main event. Yeah. I'd, I'll be interested to see how you... Plotted that out in notes. Very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> it was either going to have to be carefully or very haphazardly. Yeah. And I, I applaud you for doing it carefully. So we are in Virginia. We are. So Shane, did you do what you do? Well, here we are. Norfolk, Virginia. Yeah, I did what I do. As everybody knows, if you've uh, been paying attention these last, you know, a hundred and sixty something episodes that I've been around for. I've been taking you on this culinary adventure around the globe. Here we are <laughs> in Virginia, where I did my research, looked up that the official sandwich or signature sandwich of Virginia is the grilled ham and cheese. And I thought, well, that sounds good, but you know, I want to kind of pump it up a little bit. Cheese, that's always good. Yeah, Virginia baked ham, that's a thing, right? Yeah, country ham. Yeah. Country ham. Yeah. Salty, delicious. But we're not in Virginia, we're in Oklahoma. And I wanted something a little bit more than a you know, just basic grilled ham and cheese. And something that would make me, you know, have a happy memory to start the show off with. <laughs> uh, so I went treat. with... Exactly. I went with my personal favorite here in Oklahoma City for a croque madame, a Sunnyside Diner. And it's very simple. It's... Sliced ham, nice thin slices. There's some cheese in there. I gotta look up the exact recipe so I don't say the wrong kind of cheese because I'd hate to steer everybody wrong. Ham and Swiss on toasted brioche topped with bechamel and two sunny side eggs. 
came with some roasted potatoes. You can pick some other little side options on there. But Sunnyside's a great place for uh, brunch every day. Uh, they're open until 2 o'clock, um, and that's what it is. It's just good old-school style breakfasts with a new twist on a lot of them. Yeah. Can't go wrong. Sunnyside Diner. They've got good pancakes. They've got their cinnamon roll there. It's got this espresso glaze that's on it. Fucking phenomenal. I'm going to do what I do real fast because I saved a couple of bites just so I can eat with a microphone in front of me because that's what I like. That's, that's a whole part of me doing what I do. So here we go. Croak Madame. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. Begin of, the beginning of the auditory punishment. Uh. It is World War Three. <laughs> Woo! I think the thing we were most surprised about is that, like, all of our eggs didn't come basically broken. Yes. Because it was delivery. I mean, with a place like Sunnyside, when, when that's your name, you better damn well have the Sunnyside down just right. And they almost always do. I ordered two croque madames, which had a total of four eggs, and only one of them had broken. That's just because it shifted in the, the container where it slid off of the actual toast. Still... But yeah, they they were still glistening and jiggly and delicious. It was very good. But something that would happen right around the same time as World War Three, a pair of animated shows would have their finales in Rocco's Modern Life and The Tick. Take it away, fellas. Spoon. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, Arthur, right? Uh, I, w- I watched the t- cartoon a little bit, but it wasn't a go-to, but I was a Nickelodeon guy, so I've probably seen every episode of Rock was Modern Life a bunch of times. And catchphrase from that one, uh, I'm nauseous from the Jewish turtle. You can say that a lot. Yeah, see, I was... Filbert. I was, you know, 19 already at the time. So I didn't really so watch saying, much of Rocco's. I watched occasionally Rocco's Modern Life because my nephews. I remember them watching that one. And you're like, oh, this is actually pretty funny. The Tick. I don't remember really. I remember the like show, a, but I, I don't remember Saturday watching it ever. Cartoon, maybe. Uh, the Tick. Yeah. Uh, it was on the Fox Kids block. Okay. Yeah, I know it was on Fox. I've read the comic, or at least the first original trade. Has anybody watched uh, the new Amazon live action series nope. at all? I have not. I didn't even know there was one. I knew. I know that it exists. Because your boy from Blank Checks. Yeah, he uh, plays Arthur. Arthur. Yeah. yeah. Actually, the crazy thing, the voice of Arthur in the Tick animated series, it started off as Mickey Dolenz. From the monkeys? From the monkeys. That's wow. Wild. Uh, that was for just season one. Season two and three was Rob Paulson, who everyone knows is Animaniacs. Uh, okay. You know. He's just famous voiceover guy. Yeah. The uh... like literally, you can name an animated series, and Rob Paulson's probably done a voice at some point and on I that see, show. Like the monkeys, I watched a lot of, but yeah, the Tick, I never really watched any. I, I honest, I never <laughs> really watched the animated series. I I saw, I, I, I saw some of it, but yeah. not like I wasn't. Hardcore tick, but no. the new uh, the new live action with its Peter uh, Serafinovich Serafinovich or something like that. I can't think of how you say his name. Yeah. Okay. About him, the um, the uh, 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 what the fuck is his name? He was in Parks and Rec. He was in 
wasn't it Couples Retreat? Shaun the Dead, Spaced. He's he's been he's done some of that stuff. Encouragement. <laughs> yeah, he he plays a bunch of just like small roles and yeah. different things that like you see him and you recognize him, but you don't actually know who he is. Yeah. They did another live action take at some point. Yeah, they did I one were, in didn't they in two thousand one because with uh, Patrick Warburton. Patrick Warburton. Did yeah. Patrick Warburton do the voice of the cartoon take? No, he did not. Okay, because in my head he also did the cartoon voice, but I probably, probably just remember him as the live, the like the live action one from the probably. voice of the tick was Townsend Coleman, who also did the voice of Michelangelo in the Turtles oh, animated wow. series. He's basically small a, world. I mean, he's basically a voice actor guy. Rocco's was one of those that like it was very on the line of. Sometimes being a little too adult. Adult. Yeah, it was kind of. It was like a little less fucked up than Ren and Stimpy, but still, you know, riding. riding I think the it's line. literally one of those shows that probably if I went back and watched it now, I would absolutely adore. Yeah, you probably, probably enjoy it more because there is so much of that adult humor that's in it that was there for that kind of just passed over your head as a kid. I mean, that was the the. That run of Nickelodeon shows that was yeah. great and still remembered uh, well is because it lives in both worlds, Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy. Of course, Rocco's Modern Life, I mean, Doug, I think an adult can enjoy, but it doesn't have like a whole bunch of yeah. adult humor, <laughs> you know. It, not the same way that uh, Ren and Stimpy does, where it's like, essentially they're coded as a uh, gay couple. Yes. <laughs> Which definitely didn't notice as a kid. <laughs> and we have one other thing. Uh-huh. As when you're listening to this, Shane just had a birthday. Old. So happy birthday. Uh-huh. Trying to do you know, as many sounds as I can with the microphone. Here. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, nice. Blockbuster Funko Pop. But it looks like a Blockbuster video. And it doesn't have eyes. That might be one of... No, it does. It does. Down there. Oh, it's the bottom. (laughs) It's the bottom. That's badass. I didn't realize that was something that they made. It actually just came out like three months ago. Oh, really? You love your Blockbuster days. I do. And I've I've recently gone and started uh, acquiring the... DVD and Blu-rays of my favorite TV shows, so this can sit on my little. Oh yeah, on your shelf. My case. Start yeah. your physical. At this point, I feel like physical media might have to come back because everyone's fucking worn out by all the all the uh, streaming, streaming service services. Getting rid of everything. Yeah, I mean, I got rid of half of them because I never used them. So I was like, all right, I'm yeah. good. And pretty soon, you know, they're gonna they're take all... away some of my favorite shows and make it to where I can't watch them. They're yeah. all doubling in price. Fuck you. And taking everything away. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll all end up on Pluto awesome. and Tubi. Yeah. Because that's how they make their money. Yeah. My, my Funko Pop shelf with my Leslie Nope and my Ron Swanson and my Stefan from SNL and my Chili from TLC. Well, that, I saw that one. I was just like, oh, that's, that's no. Yeah, this is That's perfect. like chef's kiss for Shane right yep. there. I'm going to have to send a picture of that to some of my old Blockbuster family. That's funny that you're still in contact with them. That's, that's good. That, oh, means, yeah. that means it was a good job. No, I mean, there's 
There's people I mean, that you, you meet. That. Like you made friends. We haven't worked together. <laughs> yeah, we did, but I mean, Shane worked at Blockbuster a long, a lo- much longer ago. Uh, it's it's scary to say that it's been almost thirty years 30 ago years. that I started at Blockbuster. <laughs> it's been probably twenty years since the last Blockbuster closed or whatever. But those people that I met when I was eighteen, nineteen years old were they they left a, an impact. So yeah. kept in touch with some others, faded away, but that's what yeah. that's what that's what people does. do. Yep. Well, let's talk some wrestling. Okay. That's what we're here for. Absolutely. The logo comes on the screen, and the narrator tells us about the matches while we get graphics, highlights, and sound bites. Tony Schiavone then welcomes us to the show, joined by Dusty Rhodes and Bobby the Brain Heenan. They talk about the Battle Royal, saying careers could be made or ended, but Bobby is more concerned about Piper. And Tony just doesn't understand why Eric Bischoff is preventing the contract signing. And I'm like, because Hogan doesn't want to face him. That's right. It's It's never beat him before. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But we go straight to our first match. Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Ultimo Dragon with Sonny Ono for the J-Crown Championship. Well, this match sounds better than a contract signing anyways. Absolutely. Like we mentioned earlier, there's three rings, and this one is in ring one, so it means it's the farthest away from the entrance. And they end up walking past the announcers, sitting basically with their backs to the action. Like, it it was just kind of funny, because they're like, you can just sit them, see them sitting there, watching their monitors. (laughs) Yeah. But then they're calling action, so they're literally calling action that is behind them. That's the the nature of the three-ring... This three-ringed beast. God forbid we, you know, just turn the table around or move the chairs to the other side. Mm-hmm. And just watch what's actually happening. But Yeah, if I knew a show was going to have, like, three rings like that, I'd probably just not go to it. Yep. So, like, it's pretty impressive they got 10,000 people here. And everybody knows probably it's called World War Three. They've done it a couple times. <laughs> like, But, hey, more so power the- to them. So the two men have a feeling out process to start, flipping about to come to a stalemate, when Ultimo takes Mysterio down with a kick combo and chops. A reversed whip and a back body drop puts Ray on the apron, so he goes for a springboard, only for Dragon to counter with a springboard drop kick of his own to put Mysterio out on the floor, where Sonny gets a kick in as well. So uh, is this the first time Ray's worn Spider-Man gear that we've seen? But he's got Spider-Man no, gear. I want to say that we brought it up. Yeah, yeah I think we brought it up on the podcast before. Have, yeah. The first time that he did it. Yeah. I do appreciate Ultimo Dragon's pink gear. It's pretty fun. <laughs> Ultimo tries to bring Ray in the hard way, only for him to float over, followed by the two fighting over a waist lock, with Dragon ultimately controlling to nail a bridging German suplex for a two count. I like the word play there. The dragon ultimately. <laughs> Pop-up faceplant and a backbreaker rack drop by Ultimo to continue the punishment before applying a half-crab momentarily. Dragon then delivers a powerbomb to Mysterio, followed by lifting him back up for a hot shot across the top rope for a nearfall. Ultimo swings Ray around before a fisherman buster, a brain buster, and a tombstone pile driver, all for two counts. I mean, this is how we want to see pay-per-views open. Exactly. They're doing it all, and I mean, shout out to that spinning fireman's carry 
backbreaker thing. It was very flashy, but pretty sick. It was a, a standout move. A dropkick from Dragon sends Mysterio out to the floor, following out to toss Ray into a guardrail and dropping him with another tombstone. Ultimo then climbs back in the ring, only to fly back out with a slingshot splash onto Mysterio, followed by rolling him back in the ring. And Dragon takes Ray to a top turnbuckle to hit a Dragonsteiner for a near fall, followed by a running Liger Bomb for a two count. Ultimo sends Mysterio to a corner, and he charges in after, only to receive a boot to the face and a spinning heel kick, followed by Ray leaping in from the apron with a springboard split-legged moonsault for a near fall. It didn't really connect. Got yeah. Got, got it in pin <laughs> on that one. Dragon whips Mysterio to the ropes, so he flips out onto the apron to springboard drop kick Ultimo out to the floor, followed by a springboard somersault plancha. Dragon's then rolled in, with Ray flying in with a springboard sunset flip for a two-count, followed by a jackknife pin attempt from Ultimo for a near-fall. And they both run the ropes, with Mysterio doing a cartwheel into a spinning hurricanrana for a two-count, only for Dragon to respond with a dragon suplex for a near-fall. Ultimo goes for another Liger Bomb, but Ray counters it into a sunset flip for a two-count, before going for a springboard rana. But Dragon catches him in midair and nails a slingshot powerbomb for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Nice finish. Yep. Post-match, Ultimo and Ono let D. Malenko know that they're coming for him. I know I got kind of nervous that Ray was going to win because it, Ultimo Dragon was really on top most of the match. So I was just like, ah. Like, you get nervous when you see that sometimes, because you're like, they're going to let the other guys like sneak out a win. Yep. Uh, you just catch them, you know, catch them off guard. The roll-up, they're flying through the air so much, you could easily just DDT him. Although, I don't know that DDT is really part of <laughs> Rey Mysterio's moveset, but, you know, just in theory. Spin around, spin around, spin around, DDT. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> we get Mean Gene in the back, and he mentions you can listen to the pay-per-view on WCWWrestling.com before inviting Diamond Dallas Page in for an interview, comparing the NWO's recruitment of him to a football draft. Oh, WCWWrestling.com. Available on the World Wide Web. Only 800 spots available, I think is what they said. Or 8,000 or something, I can't remember. Yeah, we, we only have so much server. DDP says everybody wants him, and the Diamond Cutter is the hottest move in WCW. But Page doesn't want to talk about that with Okerlund taking exception to him skirting the issue. Gene wants to know about Bischoff, with DDP saying those issues don't affect him. He only cares about World War III. Page then reminds everyone he won Battle Bowl, and good God, he's going to do it again, saying there can only be one. Is he Highlander now? They always say there can only be one, but isn't there like several two Highlanders in the first Highlander movie? Is there? Isn't the Kurgan? I haven't watched Highlander in forever. I don't remember. I mean, the first one's pretty fun. The second one uh, is pretty bad, but the first twenty minutes are incredible. Remember, there's the main, there's the main Highlander guy, and then there's Sean Connery. Isn't he a Highlander? Or is he just that same character, just older? I don't remember. Or 
Welcome to Highlander. Yeah, guys. welcome to. I've never watched Highlander <laughs> before, but I've seen the cover boxes. Mean well, yeah. Jing then sends it back to the ring while wondering if his question was ever answered. And the answer is no. Absolutely not. Good guy. Keep them on their toes. So we go to our second match Nick Patrick versus Chris Jericho with Teddy Long with one arm tied behind his back. I know, I'm like, this is about the last thing I want to see is my first thought. But uh, I do appreciate Nick Patrick coming out in, like, the robe that's striped, like, referee gear. You know, yes. it's it's uh, it's cute and fun. Underneath that robe, he has a sleeveless ref shirt, and his neck brace is still on as well. While Shivani tells us that he trained as a wrestler before an injury caused him to become a referee. Let's if you remember, his dad is Jody Hamilton, assassin number one. Uh-huh. That's right. It's pretty typical for refereeing business a lot of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, Teddy Long probably wasn't um, a wrestler, <laughs> wasn't training to be a wrestler, but who knows? I mean, Pee Wee Anderson, Randy Anderson, probably, he wasn't a wrestler before. He was just Arn Anderson's Dri- road uh, yeah. driver, road Danny, buddy. Danny Davis. Wrestled for a little while. As he he a, was a, a wrestling referee. Before, yeah, before he <laughs> um, but that was but the, most, that was pretty standard. Uh, back but most in the day. of them usually have twins. a have a yeah. background in in wrestling, and then they just transition to being a referee at some point. Yeah, especially because back in the day, you couldn't smart everybody up, smarten everyone up. And back in the day. You, know, you were usually more successful the less attractive and in shape that you were. So. <laughs> are you taking Could shots? Have done it. Are you taking shots at uh, Mr. Rhodes? No, I was. I was actually thinking of like the Hebner twins. Oh, okay. You know? <laughs> they could have been a, a dynamic duo, but. So this matches in ring number two, where Jericho shoves, shoulder blocks, and hip tosses Patrick around to start, sending Nick out to the floor. Back inside, Patrick asks for a test of strength. Mm. Only for Chris to take control, taking Nick down with several kicks. Patrick rolls out to regroup, only to get into a shoving match with Teddy, before returning to the ring where he slaps Jericho. Only for Chris to retaliate in kind to send Nick rolling out again to the floor. All with one hand tied behind his back. Jericho drags Patrick back into the ring to hit a clothesline, sending Patrick retreating to the floor again, only for Chris to leap off the apron with a single sledge. And Jericho tries to run Nick into a ring post, only to be shoved off, followed by Patrick charging into the ring post with Chris moving. Posted. Jericho then tries for a clothesline, but Nick moves, causing Chris to hit the steel with his good arm. Posted. Patrick takes advantage, working the arm, nailing some jabs before getting back into the ring, where Nick nails a neck snap and combination strikes in a corner. And the crowd obviously hates Nick Patrick. Yeah. Patrick sucks. Good reason. They boo him. Jericho responds with a boot to the face on a charge, followed by several turnbuckle smashes and a back body drop. And Patrick bells out to the floor, only to roll right back in when Chris gives chase allowing him to stomp away on Jericho and hit a leaping forearm. Nick then heads up top, only for Chris to one-arm slam him off before delivering a super kick for the pin 
and the win. This was so much better than I expected it to be. <laughs> it's a fun little, yeah, mm-hmm. fun little thing. I was like, ugh, but I mean, I didn't expect Nick Patrick to have it as together as he did. There's really nice uh, commentating when Dusty pointed out is like, well, if you're a ref, you've seen every dirty trick in the book, and uh, makes complete sense. And Patrick uh, used some dirty tricks. But has a ref seen every dirty trick in the book? Because would they be able to use them if the ref saw them? It's a good point. But some, you know, they've seen the grabbing the turnbuckle. They see what happens on the outside of the ring half the time. But I see where you're coming from as well. They've watched other matches. Yeah, they probably uh, watch tape from time to time. So Tony and the boys speak about the Piper situation. With Heenan thinking Roddy is ready to fight after the NWO attacked him on Nitro while Dusty talks about the long road home to WCW. The Brain also mentions that Hogan never beat Piper, before Shivani sends it to the CompuServe room to see Marcus Bagwell chatting away shirtless. Because, you know. Because he's buff. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta, gotta, Gotta give him some camera time, I guess. We come back to the stage area with Mean Gene, who introduces Ric Flair speaking about their history together. Oakland says people have a lot of questions for the Nature Boy, but Nate doesn't answer any of them, instead just saying that WCW and NWO are entitled to go their own way before listing all the biggest stars that represent WCW. Flair continues his rant by promising that the NWO will belong to WCW and that he wants to dance all night. So once again, Mean Gene... No answers for your questions. No. Sir. Yeah, he's really getting uh, stiffed. So we go to our third match: the Giant versus Jeff Jarrett. It's a return of so it's a grudge match now, right? It's second time. So the Giant still has the United States title with him as he makes his way to ring number three, while Tony tells us that Flair has now officially been stripped of the title since he couldn't defend within 30 days. Remember when that was a thing? I do. They used it to tell stories. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty simple. Like, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. Sometimes they remember that rule. Not when very they, often anymore. Yeah, when they want to, when it's convenient. Over the top rope, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Over the top rope. And Double J jumps the giant as soon as he is in the ring, but the big man just shoves him off, only to telegraph a back body drop so Jarrett sticks a moves to nail right hands. Double J with mounted punches, but the Giant shoves him off again, followed by a clothesline. And the Giant goes for an avalanche splash, only for Jarrett to move in time, allowing him to deliver a running clothesline in the corner and a drop kick. And Double J goes for a splash of his own, but he gets caught in midair with a big boot, allowing the Giant to take over with stomps, body slams, elbow drops, Whips, chokes, and chops. And the crowd starts getting excited as they see Sting up in the rafters. I mean, still pretty exciting. Yes. While the giant continues the punishment with a big boot and a leg drop. And the Stinger starts making his way to the ring through the crowd. While the giant nails a backbreaker and goes for a second rope pump splash. Only for Jarrett to avoid and head up top for a crossbody that gets a two count. And the Giant charges at Double J on the ropes, but Jarrett ducks a clothesline, sending the big man stumbling out to the floor. 
and the refs making the count when Sting would jump in the ring and hit a scorpion death drop on Double J. <laughs> and the Stinger leaves while the Giant returns to the ring to deliver a choke slam for the pin and, and the, the win. win. So if you're as confused as I am, why the Sting Stinger would do this, Jarrett had been going around trash-talking Sting. Basically saying, hey, if you're not going to leave WCW, then what, what good are you? Basically. Yeah, yeah. It's like, if, you know, if you're not uh, with us, you're against us, get out of here kind of thing. But him doing this move to Jarrett also plants the idea of which side is the Stinger on. Yeah, I mean, they're obviously doing that uh, very well at the moment. Yeah, he's dressed in black and white. Those are NWO colors. Even though, if you remember from his promo, he told us what side he's on. Yeah, he's on his, his yeah. own side. His team Sting. Yeah. I do uh, love in this match that old Paul White uses the Hulk Hogan uh, finish, but it's only a two count. And I was like, hmm. Foreshadowing. Yeah, like, what's the, I mean, Hogan, <laughs> there's, no, there's no chance in hell Hogan watched this, but I bet he would have been pretty upset about it. Next up is our Starcade contract signing. That's what every pay-per-view needs. A contract signing for a future pay-per-view. Yeah, this couldn't be done on the go-home show before the pay-per-view that it's on. So there's a table set up in ring number two with Rowdy Roddy Piper making his way to the ring with contract in hand. I love that they put a plaid tablecloth cover on the table. It's the little things. And Piper calls out Hogan but gets Bischoff, DiBiase, and Vincent instead, with Shivani saying he never thought he would see Eric and Vince walk down the aisle together. Mm. <laughs> what a cut-up. Bischoff says that Hollywood is busy reading scripts, but he has power of attorney, continuing that he will sign the contract if it meets his requirements. I think if Hogan actually read scripts, he would have said yes to some of the movies he made. Like He's like, yeah, this Thunder in Paradise 3 sounds great. As if he didn't just learn the lines right before the scene. Roddy insults Eric, calling him corrupt and questioning his sexuality, saying he doesn't trust him, before threatening to attack him, with Bischoff promising fines if he does so. Piper then demands Hogan, who finally comes out with the rest of the NWO tagging along. And Hulk says he will sign the contract, but he wants Roddy to show everyone his hip first, lifting the kilt to reveal a hip surgery scar. I don't know why they have to embarrass this man. I don't understand why it's such a big deal that he's had fucking surgery. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a wrestler. Yeah. Hogan continues by saying he rarely picks on cripples, but the entire world wants it. So he signs the contract for Starcade. Piper then slaps Hollywood, so the NWO attacks, holding Roddy while Hulk punches him. And you know, Roddy being the firecracker he is, doesn't even think twice when there's like fucking six people in the ring. Piper tries to fight back, but odds are not in his favor. So the punishment continues with a chair shot and stomps to the hip before Hogan just spray paints NWO on Roddy's leg. Hollywood hugs Eric while Piper pulls himself to his feet, ready to fight. But the NWO has left, so he grabs a mic to say, No retreat and no surrender. I love that he said that Eric Bischoff looked like Eddie Munster. Yeah. (laughs) 
We then go to our fourth match. The amazing French Canadians of Jacques Rougeau and Carl Ouellet with Colonel Robert Parker versus Harlem Heat of Booker T and Stevie Ray with Sister Sherry. And as they head to ring number one, Shivani tells us that if Harlem Heat wins, Sherry will get five minutes with Parker in the ring. Get it, girl. The Canadians grab the mic to tell everybody to pay respect to the greatest country in the world by singing O Canada, while Sister Sherry wonders if they think they're at the MTV Music Awards, which is a pretty good line. Yeah, the uh, gimmick is old as uh, time, but they do it, they sing it so poorly that it's some that it still works. If you're going to do it, you got to do it right. Yep. So perfectly bad. Uh-huh. So Booker and Rougeau start us off by knocking each other down, only for the other to kip up, followed by a hook kick by Booker T. Stevie comes in to team up for a double clothesline and a body slam, but Jacques ducks a clothesline attempt and comes off the rope with a leaping back elbow before bringing Ouellette in to take Stevie Ray down with a clothesline of his own. Splash in the corner by Carl, but then Stevie ducks another clothesline and nails a back suplex followed by a bicycle kick for a two-count. Harlem Heat then work over Ouellette in their corner with knee drops, clubbing forearms, hot shots across the top rope, and a scissor kick. Booker then has his eyes raked and body slammed by Carl, followed by an elbow drop attempt, only to avoid and go for an elbow himself, which Ouellette moves in time, so Booker T spin a Rooney's up into a leaping leg lariat. Booker then goes to run the ropes when Rougeau would low bridge the causing Booker T to stumble, so Jacques drags him out to the floor to run him into a guardrail, followed by Parker getting some stomps in as well. The crowd is cold, by the way. As was I while watching it, because <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm all for Harlem Heat. I have and fun the watching the, the Canadians. I love me some Sherry, but this was just like recycled match that we've seen just insert new team here and it's not about the match it's about Sherry and Parker and Heat has been good as they are just shoved down our throat without any really interesting angles yes not even any ketchup or mustard this time (laughs) back in the ring the Canadians double team Booker with a clothesline leg sweep combo and a body slam of Carl onto Booker T for a near fall the Canadians continue the double teaming with a hot shot across the ropes, but then Ulet telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Booker to flip over into a small package for a two count, only for Carl to retaliate with a vicious clothesline. The Canadians then nail a Boston Crab second rope leg drop combo, with Rougeau making a cover, only for Stevie Ray to run in to hit a leg drop of his own to break it up, which also allows Booker T to make the crawl. For the hot tag. Stevie with right hands, a back body drop, press slams Rougeau right onto Ouellette when Booker would rejoin the fray for a Pier 6 brawl. We haven't been to Pier 6 in a while. I know. Booker T goes for a whip, but he boomerangs it around back to the corner, only for the ref to get sandwiched and knocked down. Ref bump. And Booker goes for another leg lariat but Carl ducks, causing Booker T to crotch himself and fall out to the floor. And the Canadians use the advantage to deliver a spike pile driver to Stevie, 
followed by Ulet grabbing a table to set atop the turnbuckles. And the Canadians then set some ring steps on top of the table. They're really trying to get the crowd warmed up. <laughs> Along with some on the mat, with Carl climbing to the top of it all for an assisted elevated senton bomb, only for Stevie Ray to move in time. Ah, sounds right. This is like the clean, well-done version of an ECW <laughs> spot. I saw it and I was like, oh, you've been doing this for a long time, PCO. Yeah, it was probably his idea. Yeah. Jacques then gets kicked out to the floor by Stevie, followed by a Harlem hangover from Booker onto Carl. For the pin... And the win. So that means we get our fifth match of Colonel Robert Parker versus Sister Sherry. And Parker's beside himself. Oh, he do declare. He's berating the Canadians so he never sees Sherry enter the ring. And she goes after him with right hands and running him into turnbuckles before throwing him over the ropes. For the dis... Oh, they didn't see it. Never mind. Carl... Over the top rope. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Colonel then starts to run, but Sherry gives chase into another ring, where she hits some jumping clotheslines that has Dusty losing his mind. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm confused. Did Sherry's history as a wrestler suddenly be just get forgotten because they're making this big deal about... She's doing this and she's doing that. And it's like, well, it's no shit. It's sensational Sherry. Yeah, she's done she's this. She's been doing shit. this for a while. Yeah. She helped train Medusa. You know, she she knows what she's doing and she's been doing it longer than some of the people that have been doing commentary. Maybe he was just. I'm on. Yeah, he's like, well, <laughs> this is. Maybe that was fun. Like, she's done that to him before in the ring. <laughs> Sister Sherry then climbs to the top for a crossbody for the pin. And no, Parker kicks out. The Canadians grab the colonel out of the ring, and they take off running, with Harlem Heat and Sherry giving chase, as our commentators are laughing their asses off. I think Dusty was probably just trying to uh, entertain himself. Granted, like I don't think that tag match was bad by any means. There's, it was just, it's just cold. Yeah, it was a good tag team match that would fit anywhere on any show, but there was no heat to it. Yeah. Just like, oh, cool. You're like, yeah, Sherry, like... Ice, it, ice, ice. Yeah. As soon as Sherry... Cold, cold, cold. As soon as Sherry decks Colonel Robert Parker, the, <laughs> crowd, comes, out the crowd comes live. Fuck, we haven't still haven't seen Glacier, have we? Uh-uh. I doubt we do. Yeah, he might be gone already for all I know. <laughs> Tony and the boys discuss Piper once again, and they speculate whether he has fully recovered from surgery, while the ring crew almost takes out Heenan with their cleaning of the ring steps. <laughs> Shivani then sends us to a commercial for Starcade with our Eugene-looking guy from the last WCW ads, yelling that this is no holiday special before dumping the tree over, trashing the turkey, and the fruitcake gets smashed into the camera. This ad stinks. Remember when there was like some fun stuff it's fun commercials yeah wcw had it might not have been the best like shit ever but even when they got super goofy there was like some production value to it yeah i i i even missed that that little kid just turning into sting at the breakfast table yeah 
Tony Giovanni in a haunted house being Dracula. We come back to Mean Gene in the dressing room where he plugs the hotline about another WWF superstar on their way to WCW. What was that number, Shane? 1-900-909-9900. Perfect. There it is. Hey, I'm not, I'm, I'm not that old yet. I'm still remembering phone numbers from my, my childhood. Oakland then brings in Lex Luger and asks about Sting's behavior. And Lex responds that it frustrates him, that he doesn't know what to make of the baseball bat, but it reeks of the NWO. And Luger has waited months for words from the Stinger, but he's a man of no words. He's not talking. I like that uh, Mean Gene calls him wrestling's Marcel Marceau. Yes. Pretty good. Mean Gene then changes the subject, calling Lex a favorite to win World War III. He's on a roll. Saying Luger has racked a lot of large men lately. And by that he means torture rack. Yes. Lex plays it off that no one is a favorite in such a match. But he convinces himself that he does have a chance. (laughs) Luger says he will bestow some honor on WCW and remove some of the tarnish. Wanting a shot at Hogan. Calling it the gold at the end of the rainbow. I'm going to say this is a pretty good Luger promo. I mean, yeah, it's so funny because Sid and Luger have been wrestling for a long time. And they've, they both find, like, they were over immediately because they're impressively big guys with a look. But it's funny that both of them are in opposite companies are finally, like, feeling themselves and getting a push. And, like, the fans are behind them. Not that the fans were ever, like, not interested in Luger, but they've been let down, led astray so many times. Yeah. With Luger more times than Sid, but they still have kind of a similar I mean, Sid similar just, Sid just usually shoots himself in the foot. Yeah. Yes. Or, you're you're or tries anticipating to the disappointment as soon as Sid shows up. Yeah. But I mean Sid's killing it over there in yeah. WWF as far as I'm concerned and Lex is doing it here. It's just kind of yeah, there's a they're kind of this, uh, like, you know, opposite sides of the same coin. Or maybe the same side of the same coin. They have to share a side. So we go to our sixth match. Psychosis versus D. Malenko for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. And they face off in ring number two, with the two doing some mat work while the crowd gets riled up as someone is being kicked out of the building. Uh-oh. Psychosis breaks free from one of the thousand holds to Nella's spinning heel kick and a drop kick to send Dean out to the floor. Psychosis then goes for a springboard something, but he slips on the ropes, falling face first into the guardrail. Yikes. Back in the ring, Malenko returns to the mat work with a head scissors, springboard leg drop, and a half crab, before leveling Psychosis with a butterfly powerbomb into a Texas cloverleaf. But the masked man is able to make the crawl to the ropes. I love Dean Malenko. Dean meticulously stalks after Psychosis with strikes, working the knee, tries for a monkey flip, only for the masked man to attempt to shove him off. But it's countered into a body scissors that sends Psychosis out to the floor. Scissor me, Daddy Dean. (laughs) (laughs) I do uh, a wonderful Bobby Heenan line. Likening Psychosis' hair to that of Peg Bundy. You got a kick out of that. Malenko goes for a baseball slide that misses, allowing Psychosis to nail a pump handle backbreaker on the floor. 
before leaping off the top row with a corkscrew senton out onto Dean. This is a match of a thousand moves. Psychosis rolls Malenko in before returning himself with a springboard leg drop for a two count, followed by a drop kick and a whip to a corner, which Dean leaps over the ropes to the apron to avoid the charging masked man. And Malenko heads up top, only for Psychosis to drop kick his legs out from under him, allowing the masked man to join him on the turnbuckle to deliver a hurricanrana for a near fall. Psychosis continues with a vertical suplex, only for Dean to counter on the way down into a small package for a two count, followed by the masked man hitting a kapoo kick. And the two men then reverse through a tombstone pile driver twice, with Malenko finally hitting it for the pin, and no, Psychosis kicks out. Dean then charges into a boot in the corner before ducking a leapfrog and taking Psychosis down with a rolling prawn hold with a bridge for the pin and, and the win. win. Great match. Wrong crowd. Yes. They were cold as hell for this, and this was probably the best match on the show so far. Yeah. Agreed. If not Ray and Ultimate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they, can be, they can be tied for first. But for you know what all, happened? All I'm concerned. They wrestled in the same ring, too. <laughs> that ring's special. I think I'm just a, on a D Malenko kick at the moment. It's not yeah. a bad kick to be on. No, uh, I I was very high on Dean Malenko for many reasons back in 1996. So, so we go to our seventh match: the Outsiders of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash versus the Nasty Boys of Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags versus the Faces of Fear of Ming and Barbarian with Jimmy Hart in a triangle match for the WCW World Tag Team Championships. And the champs came out first. Foreshadowing. I know, I got excited. I was like, could the NWO lose? There's the triangle match, so they could fuck them out of it in a number of different ways. But we'll see what happens. And we're in ring number three for this one, as the Nasties run in and attack the Outsiders right away. Not even waiting for the Faces of Fear to show up. Hey, they're as nasty as they want to be. You just got to deal with it. <laughs> and they're cleaning house. <laughs> we sure do. As Shivani mentions <laughs> that they were snubbed by the NWO. Oh. That's pretty funny. Oh, uh, you got brood-eyed, huh? Poor things. Oh, they should have made it like a trio. Oh, that would be good. The, the nasty booty, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> booty nasty. <laughs> yeah, I like the, na- the nasty booty. <laughs> The Outsiders then meet the Faces of Fear in the aisleway that ends up with all six men brawling in the ring, once again cleaning house of Hall and Nash. And the Faces of Fear and Nasty Boys then brawl, but the ref is finally able to get the match under control to see Barbarian charge into a big boot from Nobbs, followed by a clothesline from Brian as well. And the Nasties team up for a double clothesline on Barbie for a two count. Sags hits a leg drop before Nobbs misses an elbow drop which brings in Ming to club her away, only to lead to more brawling between the two teams as the champs just look on. Well, man, why would they get involved? I noticed that Jimmy Hart has, like, the misfit skull on the back of his jacket, <laughs> like the crimson ghost thing. I was like, huh, that's pretty funny. But another question I had... It's on Barbarian's tights. Oh, is it? Yeah. I know I saw skulls there, but I didn't quite notice it was uh, that specific one. But tag triangle match on a show with a 60-man battle royal. 
Seems like a little bit of overkill. Just a thought I had. Yep. So the match settles down again with Ming hitting a clothesline on Brian. Goes to run the ropes when Nash makes a blind tag to make his way in to work over knobs with knees, haul with right hands before tagging the Tongan back in to keep up the attack. And after some chops to take Brian back down, Nash is willing to tag back in to whip knobs, charging in only for Brian to bounce out of the corner with a back elbow that sends Kevin backwards into tagging Ming back in. In the faces of fear whip knobs to the ropes, where Hall makes a blind tag to come in with a bunch of kicks to the barbarian in the head that only ends up waking him up to take control of the match with a vicious clothesline in the corner. You know what I think I don't like about the triangle tag match is that... All the blind tags? Yeah, they get, it's, it's very Looney Tunes, but like it doesn't... It never comes across as like clean as... A Looney Tune cartoon, <laughs> you know, where it's like, oh, like I could see how on paper this could be fun uh, or interesting, but it just doesn't translate. Barbie hits a clip body slam, mean with kicks and chops, but a rake of the eyes allows Hall to tag Knobs back in, which leads to more clubbering from all teams as Sags is jumped into the outsider's corner, only to be beaten back until the ref can separate everyone. Brian then nails a back elbow on the Barbarian, followed by a pile driver by Jerry for a two count, as Hall pulls him off in time, which brings Knobs over to throw right hands at Scott, while Nash is tagged in by Sags, only for him to go after Jerry instead, with Tony mentioning there must be something personal going on here, which we'll talk about after the match. Oh, okay. okay. I'm interested in this now. Yeah. Hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> Barbie takes back over with a whip of Kevin, but charges into a big boot, before Nash charges out with a clothesline and a side slam for a two count, as Ming makes the save. Hall returns to the ring with a clothesline on the Barbarian, but the faces of fear are able to get Scott to their corner to take control, allowing Ming to nail a back suplex. Hall then tags in Barbie, giving us the faces of fear against each other, only for Ming to immediately tag in Knobs, who, with the help of Sags, takes control with some more clubbering of the Barbarian. Clubbering. I don't know if I've ever heard clubbering. It's a Dusty Rhodes word. I know, it's a Dusty like Rhodes word. I've heard it. It's fun. We should make a... It's, it's clubbering time with um, <laughs> the dream on it. The Nasty's working over the leg of Barbie when Hall would tag in to keep up the attack on the Barbarian. Until both men make it to their feet to tag in their respective partners which leads to another brawl in the ring with the Nasties just looking on. The ref restores order once more, with Nash hitting knees and a clothesline on Ming, followed by a body slam and a missed elbow drop, as Nobbs blind tags himself in, but goes after Kevin instead of the Tongan, allowing him to tag in Barbie. The ref then gets Kevin out of the ring, so Brian with turnbuckle smashes to the Barbarian, running him into Sag's boot, followed by Jerry delivering a backbreaker and Barbie is able to break free to tag Ming back in to Nellis pile driver's knobs for a two count as Sags breaks it up. The Tongan with chops and clotheslines to Jerry before tagging in Hall to continue the punishment. But Sags hits an atomic drop and a low blow to retaliate, sending Scott falling backwards to tag Ming in. And Nobs and the Tongan exchange blows, but then they stop momentarily and decide to both tag in 
the Outsiders. There's your Looney Tune moment that actually translate, but at this point, they couldn't care less. Yep. So the two of them try to tag in others, but everybody drops to the floor. Ha 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 ha. So then they act like they're going to fight, only for Nash to just lay down. Foreshadowing. With Hall making the cover for the pin, and no, the other teams break it up. I hate that if they pin each other, they're still the champs. It's fucking gross and dumb. Yep. Another Pier 6 breaks out as Nobbs hits a headbutt to the gut of Nash before terrorizing Jimmy Hart, who had climbed up to the apron, causing him to drop his megaphone into the ring. Brian also backbody drops Ming out to the floor while Sags and the Barbarian brawl outside, leaving Scott to pick up the megaphone to blast Nobbs in the back of the head. Followed by a jackknife powerbomb from Nash for the pin and the win. So the reason this felt like a real fight at points, because there was actually really bad blood between the Nasties and the Outsiders. As Sags had felt, Hall had taken some liberties on a house show. So we retaliated with some stiff shots on Nitro, leading to the two almost having a backstage fight. Hmm. <laughs> Because, like, literally when there was times when the Nasties would just, like, stop working the match and, like, start throwing punches at <laughs> Scott and Kevin. I was just like, okay, there's more to this than then, just, yeah. than then. just, like, trying to get the other team out of the ring. Some sad news, though. Uh-oh. Or you might find it fun news. I never know. But this is the last time we will see Jerry Sags until... 2010, wow. as he basically retires from injuries. Huh. Didn't expect that. Mm. Nope. Oh, we, Lost the war, eh? Yeah. Remember when the Nasty Boys were kind of fun a couple of years ago? I don't know if uh, Shane's going to ever agree with that on that one. I've I said some, kind of. I've had some okay memories of Nasties. I mean, great but, song. Yeah. Goodbye to the boy. That's right. The Nasty Boy. The Nasty <laughs> Boy. Shivani, Dusty, and the Brain then discuss the Battle Royal. And Bobby thinks that Malenko will win, while Rhodes decides he still wants to talk about Piper. <laughs> Tony then introduces all the commentary teams for the main event. Lee Marshall and Larry Zabisco for ring number three. Mike Tanay and Dusty for ring number one, while Shivani and Heenan will stay at ring number two. Yeah, I appreciated Lee Marshall uh, putting over the Chris Benoit, Kevin Sullivan stuff. Lee Marshall, what a what a voice. I don't know how I feel about it, <laughs> but it is unique. Marshall brags about his traveling for his Nitro reports, because he gets to go a week early to the next place. and Doesn't even get to call and talk to them and, on the phone while he's there. Exactly. <laughs> As you mentioned, he talks about a fight between Benoit and Sullivan at a house show the night before, where it ended up in a bathroom, as their matches usually do, Mm -hmm. saying that there's still bad blood between the dungeon and horsemen. We go over to Tanae and Rhodes, where Dusty likes Conad and Luger's chances in the match. Conad? Yep. He calls Conan Conad. That's what he always calls him. <laughs> I'm going to have to keep an ear out for that one. Yeah. Conan. Tony then asks everyone to give a quick prediction. With Lee saying Nash. Larry says Lex. Rhodes doubles down on his Luger and Conad. 
Mike goes with Lex as well before the brain reiterates his pick of Malenko, with Shivani finishing it up by saying the giant. So everybody that already fought is going to be in the 60-man battle royal. Yep. Yeah. I mean, when there's 60 of them, you pretty much have to have everybody. But that's one of the things I was confused about. It's like a triangle tag match, and you have a 60. It's like, you need these guys for that. And it's like, oh, well, don't worry. They're all going to work. <laughs> or at least stand in the ring. So we go to our eighth match. The World War Three match. And the participants in this match are Lex Luger, Eddie Guerrero, Tony Rumble, last seen as a manager at the NWA Smoky Mountain Wrestling World Heavyweight Championship Tournament, episode 135, Diamond Dallas Page, Kenny Chaos, Robbie Rage, Michael Wall Street, last seen at Slamboree 96, episode 201. I popped for Wall Street. Uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, Scotty Riggs, Sergeant Craig Pittman, last seen at Nitro on July 8th, episode 209. Stevie Ray, Booker T, Big Bubba, Hugh Morris, Conad, (laughs) Ron Studd, who was last seen at Nitro on September 2nd, episode 218. I kind of forgot about that guy. Insane. I mean, he was a Yeti last year. (laughs) That's right. The humping, yeah, a wild humping yeti. (laughs) Lord Stephen Regal, last seen at Nitro on July 8th, episode 209. La Parca, Pez Watley, last seen at World War III, 1995, episode (laughs) 173. Uh, Steve Mongo McMichael with Deborah. Disco Inferno, last seen at Bash at the Beach, episode 208. Joe Gomez, also seen at the last Bash at the Beach, episode 208. Jim Powers, Ming, Barbarian, and Bunkhouse Buck. Last seen at World War III, 1995, episode 173. I'm starting to see a pattern. Here comes Daddy Arn, Arn Anderson. Oh, it's Johnny Grunge. Cyclope. Galaxy, last seen at A Matter of Respect 96, episode 200, as Damien666. Oh, surprise. Six, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, The Giant, Scott Norton, Ultimo Dragon, Jimmy Graffiti, Hmm. last seen at House Party 1996, it's Jimmy Del Rey. Hey, hey, hey. Episode 182. Mike Enos. Last seen at Royal Rumble 93 as Blake Beverly, episode 86. Rey Mysterio Jr., Roadblock, Ice Train, Jack Boot. Last seen as Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker at World War III 1995, episode 173. Kind of a trade down on the name there, old Jack. <laughs> yeah. Ho! It's Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Last seen at Bash at the Beach, episode 208. Chris Benoit with the Bruce face and woman. Juventud Guerrera, Jacques Rougeau, Carl Ouellette, Prince Iakea, last seen at Fall Brawl 95, episode 165, as the cadet who delivered papers to Cobra. Dean Malenko, Jeff Jarrett, Bobby Eaton, Mark Starr, last seen at World War III, 1995, episode 173, Squire David Taylor, and Chris Jericho. Alex Wright, 
The Renegade, last seen at Fall Brawl 95, episode 165. Mr. JL, last seen at World War III 95, episode 173. Villano4, Rick Steiner, and the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan with Jimmy Hart. That's all 60 of them. (sighs) Dang. That is the names of 60 men and a couple of ladies. Yep, and... Jimmy Hart. So Benoit and Taskmaster pick up where they left off from the night before, with the Faces of Fear joining the fray in the aisleway. Arn Anderson come over to help his fellow horsemen, with Big Bubba, Conan, and Hugh Morris joining the brawl as well. Sullivan and the Crippler head out into the crowd, with Big Bubba following after, when we go to a three-way split screen. Oof. Hmm. Oof. We see Riggs save himself from elimination while Bagwell is giving mounted punches to Wall Street. Benoit's tossed down the steps before retaliating by knocking Bubba down them as well. And the NWO are all hanging out in one corner in ring number two, protecting each other, picking their shots, while Luger goes after Booker T in ring number one. Bagwell gets DDP over the ropes, but he isn't knocked off the apron. So he rolls back in while the horsemen and the dungeon members continue to brawl around ringside. It is funny that the NWO are just like, it's like the potheads hanging out at the, in, during um, lunch next to the vending machines. They're just like off in, off in the corner doing their own thing. Benoit is slammed atop the announce table before chairs and a toolbox are brought out to be used. And Lee Marshall gets swept up in the brawl, oh, no. being kicked by the faces of fear, yelling, What the heck is going on out here? <laughs> A lot of things happen when you actually show up for the show, buddy. <laughs> Shivani then tells us that all of the Dungeon and Horseman members have been disqualified and eliminated as they brawl their way to the back. Lame. I know, it's like some of... Yeah, the Horsemen... Like, who else do we have here? Like, we, the I mean, we just got rid of 10 people. We're down to 50. Come on, we got to get rid of people quick. I know, but Hugh Morris is still in there. Yes. No, he's gone. Okay, cool. He was a dungeon member. Gosh, that's how forgettable he is. Yes. I don't even know who he, who he works for. But Villain 04, still alive and kicking. <laughs> Eddie's beaten on Wall Street when he is almost dumped, but he hangs on to return to the rink while the American males in high voltage fight. Tony Rumble and Sicope are eliminated. Somehow. Don't know. They just are. The Giant with an avalanche splash on Bunkhouse Buck, while Regal and Jarrett fight. And Marshall starts bitching about Larry not helping him, while Stud is smushing a number of competitors in a corner. Shivani tells us that Mike Enos has been eliminated, mm-hmm. while Fire and Ice team up on Rajot. Oh, they've mended their, uh, yes. their, their previous... Uh, Previous uh, issues. Apparently they've rebonded over the hatred of Canadians. <laughs> Tanay tells Canadians. us that Laparka has just been tossed out by Luger, while the former Blue Bloods are having some bad blood in ring number three. Uh... Graffiti and Galaxy team up on Mysterio, but he fights back to save himself when Shivani tells us that Norton has been eliminated. No! Tanay then chimes in that Pittman has eliminated Pez Watley while Shivani says Graffiti, Galaxy, and the Renegade have been eliminated. Once again, they don't show any of these eliminations. We're just told. Yeah, you can't see really much of anything. It's like there's three 
picture-in-picture picture on the screen. So no matter how big your television is, like it's four, it's like three small squares, yeah. and then the camera is basically like from the floor up at the ring. So like you. Yeah, I've been watching this on a seventy-inch. Your each screen is like still like six what, inches, maybe six inches. Yeah, yeah. but the. Uh, yeah, but the camera work is like from the floor yeah. the whole time too. So you're just like looking up at people, kind of just stumbling around. Jack Boot and Mark Starr team up to get Squire Dave Taylor over the ropes, but he slides underneath to remain in the match. I mean, that makes me feel better. I really was really pulling for Squire David Taylor. Hacksaw and Ice Train then toss Star out to be eliminated, while DDP tosses Rage out. Only for Robbie to skin the cat back into the ring. He's guys got to do something. Studs choking Paige. Giants choking Gomez. While Prince Iakea is hot-shotted across the ropes to send him out to the floor to be eliminated. Tanae then tells us that Luger just tossed Chaos out of the ring to be eliminated. The Giant with a big right hand to Disco before dumping Gomez out of the ring to be eliminated. And everybody's just brawling while our announcers do a roll call of who's left. While Mysterio hits a spinning heel kick to Ultimo before attempting to toss him out to no avail. The Giant and Roadblock get into it. And the Roadblock was a big man. He's a big dude. This is basically the only time we ever see him, so don't get used to him. Mm -hmm. Fine with that. Pretty good name for a large jobber. With the NWO big man hitting a clothesline that sends Roadblock over the ropes to be eliminated. And I gotta appreciate a, a big man that doesn't go after like a Loch Ness monster name or something <laughs> like that. You know, roadblock, perfect. I'm in your way. Get through me. Mm-hmm. Bagwell with an atomic drop to Wall Street. Eddie stomping away on DDP while Marshall tells us that Mr. JL has been eliminated. Uh, nuts. Ice Train and Duggan team up on Villano, only for him to duck. So Hacksaw and Ice knock each other down with right hands. Which was a kind of a fun spot to if you caught it. Yeah, if if yeah. you caught it, keywords. Yeah, Villano still standing strong. In ring number we, one, uh, we're betting on Villano now. <laughs> in ring number one, everyone begins clotheslining Ron Stud in a corner, while Nash power bombs Disco in ring number two. Six hits a Bronco Buster to Ultimo when the Canadians and Duggan are all eliminated, who proceed to brawl their way to the back. There's going to be another 60-man battle royal in the back. Um, yeah, right behind the curtain. <laughs> Villano is then dumped out by Ice Train. Wah, wah. When Eddie Piscato's out of the ring on top of Regal. So he's eliminated. Okay. So he just... Or is he? <laughs> I hate that. It's like, well, he didn't get thrown over. He went over. It's like, well, okay. I think Eddie just probably got <laughs> knew it didn't matter and got caught up in the moment. Bagwell eliminates Riggs, which probably isn't going to help the American males solve their problems. No. Followed by Wall Street clotheslining Marcus as well to eliminate him. Was it worth it, Marky? Marshall then says Bobby Eaton has been eliminated. Followed by DDP low-bridging the ropes to send Wall Street stumbling out to the floor to be eliminated as well. Squire Dave Taylor's dropkick by Alex Wright to be eliminated. When Marshall tells us that Steiner has been eliminated... Though, it looks like he just went to a different ring as they begin to consolidate. Yeah, who's <laughs> telling him? It's like, alright, now you go over here? Well, try and remember, because 
Basically, they last waited. Last year it was like they got all, down to ten. They all fought to like ten people in each yeah. ring, and then they consolidated. But it's like, a mess. I couldn't they say tell that you, here too. I couldn't tell you who was in the ring at any point. Hoovy's drop kick by Jericho to send out of the ring to be eliminated. Guerrero, who, like I said, is still in the match, throws DDP into a guardrail as they are moving over. Everyone's finally in ring number two, brawling away, and for some reason they continue the split screen. So cameras on like each side of the ring. Just give me a that big. Give me the, give me the wide shot. Yeah, give me the give wide, me the three wide quarter. Shot. Let me just figure it out. Three quarter hard cam. Pittman's hot-shotted across the top rope by Page when Booker T flicks and pokes the eyes of Regal. Jack Boots kicked out by Hall and the Giant, followed by Grunge being back-body dropped out of the ring by DDP. Pittman dumps out Powers while Luger is wailing away on the Giant, but the NWO intervenes to protect their own. Where's the other... Where's... Uh, why can't I think of his name? Where's Rocco? He may be injured. Yeah, I just, it just, had, I just, I just realized because Grunge like, oh. had a singles match that one. Yeah, so I assume True. that he's probably in, I injured. About that it makes sense. He's the one that does, does the, the dangerous stuff. The yeah. dangerous stuff. Yeah. Jarrett dumps Malenko out of the ring to be eliminated, followed by the Sarge being tossed by Page. Nash tosses Booker T out of the ring, while Jericho nails some turnbuckle smashes on DDP. Steiner tosses Disco. But he holds on and rolls back into the ring, only for Nash to finish Inferno off by dumping him out to be eliminated. Alex Wright sends Bunkhouse Buck out to be eliminated. Oh my gosh, Bunkhouse, good for you, made it this far. Followed by Eddie ducking a clothesline attempt from Stevie Ray to send him stumbling over to be eliminated. Lex does the same to Ron Studd before Steiner is belly-to-belly suplexed over the ropes by the Giant. Which was pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a, a big bump. Ray head scissors Ultimo over the ropes to the floor to be eliminated, while DDP tosses Mysterio. But he holds onto the ropes to save himself. Luger then dumps Alex Wright out, while Steiner doesn't like that he is out, so he jumps on the apron to choke the giant until the ref forces him to leave. That's the wild card I like to see. Let's get that Rick Steiner giant feud going. I don't want I don't want Rick Steiner to ever lay down to the giant. <laughs> Jericho's knocked over the ropes by a European uppercut from Regal, while Steiner continues to just not want to leave, attacking six in the corner now. Page and Nash team up to kick Ice Train out of the ring to be eliminated. When the WCW guys stop fighting each other momentarily to see all who is left. We got Luger, Ray, Jarrett. Eddie, Regal on one side, Nash, Hall, Giant, and Six on the other, with DDP in the middle of them all. So no one knows whose side he's on. Yeah, it's like we went through all of that just to get to this decent moment. Double J and Lex go after the Outsiders, while DDP goes after Guerrero as we finally go to full screen. Page tosses Eddie towards the ropes, where Regal backbody drops him over to be eliminated. Ray then charges at the Giant, who picks him up with one hand to press slam him atop Guerrero on the floor to also be eliminated. What a pal, Guerrero. Page starts fighting with Jarrett, with DDP going over the ropes, but he saves himself and rolls back in, followed by Hall atomic dropping to Double J and attempting an outsider's edge. 
only for Regal to make a save. Jarrett stumbles backwards with Nash hitting a clothesline to eliminate him, followed by Paige charging at Lord Steve, who low bridges the ropes to send DDP crashing out to the floor to be eliminated. Boo! The NWO then quadrupled Team Regal, dumping him out to be eliminated, leaving Luger versus the NWO. Lex starts taking everybody down with clotheslines, except for the Giant, who whips Luger to a corner, charging in for an avalanche splash, only for Lex to move, causing the big man to land on top of the turnbuckle. Uh Uh-oh. And Lex gets the Giant up on his shoulders, but Six makes a save with a kick to the back. Hall then goes for an outsider's edge, only for Lex to reverse it into a back body drop. That eliminates Scott. Luger then press slams six over the ropes atop Hall to also be eliminated. Before ducking a clothesline from Nash. And coming off the ropes himself with a running forearm. Luger just uh, out here hot tagging himself. Kevin is staggered. So Lex gets him up into the torture rack. He moves closer to the ropes so that he can dump him out when the giant would run in to dump them both over the ropes to be eliminated, making the giant the winner. Oh my goodness. They made Lex look so strong, and then he just gets dumped out by a big old dump. (laughs) Post-match, the NWO celebrates in the ring while Pyro goes off. As our commentators speculate whether the giant will actually get a match with Hogan, or if the NWO winning was only to protect Hollywood. Tony says he should get the title shot as he says his goodbyes, and we get credits. Gotta point something out here. Mm-hmm. Bobby Heenan says this will go down as the greatest battle royal of this sport. Nah, nah, nah. Bobby, I assume you're just having, you're just being a little cheeky here. And he says it's the greatest pay-per-view of his life. And I'm like, you've just got to be tongue firmly in cheek. Bobby Heenan. <laughs> it's like, don't say things like this. You gotta show for the company you work for, bro. <laughs> I know, but my God. So some sad notes. Uh oh. This would be the last time we see Bunkhouse Buck. Say it in so. Jimmy Graffiti. <laughs> Jim Powers. Oh. Mark Starr. Pez Watley. Roadblock. Sergeant Craig Pittman. And Tony Rumble. It's almost as we if I never you. Yeah. This is where you uh, put in taps. Record <laughs> 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 That's enough. They only get half a song. Play too much or you gotta pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I ask you gentlemen... What are your overall thoughts of World War III, 1996? It's not an easy watch. Good-sized crowd, but they weren't into much. They liked NWO, they liked Piper, they liked Lex. The Cruiser matches were good. Nick Patrick did, did a better job than I expected, but this is a big old skip of a show. Yes. Make love, not war. I want to say this show is better than the first World War Three. I might be wrong, but 
I want to say it's better. I won't be going back to check. No. Yeah. Like, it It started fun. It did. There's two and matches then, here that I think are would be good if you were to make a compilation back when you, like, burn DVDs and stuff. Download, like, single matches. These would be good ones to throw on a disc and put on, put on to watch some, like, like, classy wrestling. This show visibly describes my thoughts of WCW back in the day perfectly where it was like good matches good matches good matches and here comes the NWO yeah and I think the yeah. the I think the <laughs> Lex NWO stuff at the end is like done really really well it just stinks that Paul White won but I thought the Lex performance and building, the way they the way they set that all up was was cool building stars of the future there yeah but have been wrestling for 12 years so I really like the first half of the show, uh-huh. probably up to uh, Dean, the tag team match. Yeah, probably up to the tag team match. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the last five minutes, like once once it hits full screen, like you have your nine guys that are in the yeah. ring. That that's once that's who see that's who you're on. wanting to see in this match. I, I think the last five minutes is really fun. I agree with that. The two championship matches, and I am including the cruiserweight match yeah. in that, I feel like they fell a little flat. Mm. But they did have some interesting moments. I'm not saying that they were completely bad. Like, even yeah. the triangle the triangle match, I didn't think it was, like, complete trash. I just couldn't be but bothered. But it, it just... It, just, it stole my fire. Yeah. <laughs> the World War Three match... I still think that it could be something because I love the Rumble. Yeah, and so I know that there is a way to do that match that makes sense. It's just hard with sixty guys, but the production on it is horrendous, mm-hmm. and it's so it's very hard to stay enthused throughout it. Yeah, you can't really catch any big spots because there's so much going yeah. on and the camera work's not great so it just kind of looks like kind of just looks like a like there was a fight at a barbecue but inside of a wrestling ring <laughs> people are just kind of standing around so people are hitting each other some are just jumping over the top rope just for the hell of it yeah a, a lot of like uh, like movement but you can't really you can't really track what's happening in any real way and lots of guys hanging off the side of the ring mm-hmm. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. Smart, smart. So, what are some of the best moments of this show? Lex had a good Lex promo, and he great probably, promo, probably. And even though he was eliminated, he's he's the winner of the match. That's I right. mean, he got he got all of the in our like, hearts yeah but he got all the, the glory like it he still looked very strong it's just unfortunate that uh, paul white was there to just push him just pushed him i mean spoiler alert it does build up to a little bit of a storyline oh i assume it i mean it has to you would have i mean it doesn't have to but it should and we should assume that <laughs> but it's wrestling you never know Ultimo, Ultimo Dragon's torture rack backbreaker, yeah. spinning backbreaker yeah. combo yeah. thing that he does. It's so freaking cool to see. Yeah, that was like the only like move on this show that I like had a specific note for. It was like, huh, 
Don't think I've seen that before. That was slick. What a maneuver. Yeah, what a maneuver. <laughs> I'm always happy when I watch Dean Malenko. Yeah, I'm on a big Dean kick at the moment because we've gotten a lot of Dean matches recently, and I just, I just love the man. I love the way that he wrestles, and miss, I love that... Missing the three-peat. Yeah, he's, got, he's kind of like an even more matter-of-fact like Arn Anderson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who's mad at that? I mean, even as ridiculous as it was, Carloulette leaping off of a table with ring steps on top of that table with a senton bomb is still pretty cool. It was cool. Like I said, it's a cleaner version of a lot of the stuff we've been seeing in ECW, and it like tracks that way, and it feels bigger. Granted, it's in a bigger spot, in a bigger place, but it feels bigger and safer, yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, it's got a bigger exclamation point on it than even some of the ECW stuff that's like truly reckless. A little more graceful. Yeah, definitely, definitely a little more graceful. <laughs> and Dusty just losing his mind on the Sister Sherry stuff. Like, it, like I was just kind of like, oh, this is fun. But they were just like laughing through the entire thing. Just like couldn't believe what was going on, even though we all know Sister Sherry is a an accomplished wrestler. Yeah, but it also seemed very... Their, like, laughter seemed genuine. It didn't seem like they were, like, putting on airs, like, to, like, you know... Yeah, they, I don't I don't feel like they were shitting on Sherry or no. Parker by any means. They were just literally, something, like, yeah. having fun that, like, this was happening. So. I mean, they, they all know those people. I mean, Dusty probably knows them better than uh, anybody else, so it was probably just fun for him to see a couple of... Uh, his, his buddy get wrecked by Sherry for a minute. Yeah. Reminds him of the time that he saw Sherry whooping old Greg Valentine's ass back in the back room one <laughs> somewhere down in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> How about most disappointing? I mean, we'll start with the World War Three match. Yeah. Because, like so. we said, the production of it is just it's so bad. Yeah, I really have had, like... Like, I don't like. I agree with you that it's not the worst shit I've ever seen, but I just had no enthusiasm at all for the triangle match. Yeah, the triangle didn't, match just didn't didn't work for me. The they started beating on each other though. I was kind of like, you woke up a little bit. It woke me up, and then I went and looked and found, and I found out that they actually had heat with each other, and so that made it a tad bit more interesting yes. for me while I was watching it. That note does they make had it a heat, little more interesting. which means that there was. An explanation for having no heat in Harlem. Yeah, and I think that, that match was just—I mean, the match itself was boring. It had it had its moment with with Carl. It had its post-match moments with Sherry and Parker, but the I mean, match it, itself it, was just—it should have just been on Nitro the next night. Yep. Another thing, and the only reason it's not is it's for the Parker Sherry moment. Yep. The crowd was so cold of most of the show that it even makes the good stuff less less good i'm like i'm loving this dean malenko match but the crowd like can't seem to be bothered and it's like guys this is good really good wrestling you don't get it all the time but they're not should have done yeah they should have taken that harlem heat match and made that like the they should have made that the match right before the World War Three. Well, I was going to say, have that be the match that started 
not not started, but like the the pre-show match that rolled into when the cameras came on, and then you know start uh. the show with Sherry kicking Parker's ass. Then the crowd's a little bit excited for that, and then you roll into the Ultimo Mysterio match, where they can see some actual wrestling. Yeah, yeah. And then it would have totally changed the the tone of the show. I'm not mad at, but it's Hall and Nash. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna, they're gonna get their time. They're gonna nuke it when they want to. <laughs> How about best performer of the night? I'm going for old Villano number four. <laughs> Made it longer than I expected to on a name that I didn't really ever know before. I mean, considering our four uh, cruisers all did a great job, I think this is the Lex Luger show. Yeah. I'm going to probably surprise you guys. Let's hear it. I'm going to give it to the Faces of Fear. Oh, I mean, I, I am, love the I am loving the Faces of Fear right now. Yeah. Like, well, then what I've the, got what they're doing. Because, <laughs> yeah, they're gonna have some. They're gonna have a real fun one pretty soon. But yeah, like, I mean, every time when they were in that ring, I mean, I love saying clubbering time. <laughs> they're clubbering away, and they are the epitome of clubbering. Of clubbering. Yeah. I mean, Ming is just so good. Yeah, I mean, not to take anything away from Barbarian, but Ming I mean, is Ming is like one of the more underappreciated guys in general. It is actually insane to me because like, I will watch like I'll, I'll go back and watch older stuff like you know eighty five, eighty six stuff, and the Barbarian is on that stuff. Mm-hmm. And if this is ten years later, and he is still as good, if not better. Same with Ming. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. these, yeah, these guys are. Like sorely underappreciated, badasses. The animals of time. I know, and the thing is, is they're huge guys. They're good workers. They look badass, and their shit looks better than most people's shit today. And they never quite are celebrated. They did what they the did. They should be yeah. so that you know the Rock could come along later and electrify, and then Roman could come and they walk so others could fly. Run. Yeah, yeah. It's like these guys are. You know, obviously they're not as tall as the giant but they could be booked that way because they're big and they're mean uh-huh. and it would be more believable because Paul White's like 20 they're just badasses yeah they're complete badasses how about most surprising really thought Lex was gonna get the win so I was really bummed when he just got dumped out but I shouldn't have been surprised it was just like they. I was so hyped up because Lex just taking out the NWO in a really well put together sequence, and then just deflated my balloon. You know, the only reason I didn't think Luger was going to win was because what's going to be the main event at Starcade? Piper, Hogan and Piper. Piper. Yeah, good point. So he wouldn't. It was like it, why? So, yeah. so if Luger wins, then he has to wait till the. Next pay per view after that to get yeah. his title shot. Maybe he January. can have a contract signing at the next show. Right? <laughs> yeah, Lex Luger like like Roddy Piper contract signing, a thing. Lex Luger contract signing, that's not really a thing. Yeah. Regal making the final nine. I I mean I know he's the TV champ and that's probably why he makes the final nine. And actually, he ends up making like the final six or so, which. Was just a little bit of a surprise for me, just because we haven't seen him in, a in while, quite yeah. some time. I mean, the last stuff we really that's memorable is him and uh, the bra- uh, uh, Belfast Bruiser. Yeah, like they had those, street fight those couple of matches, and that were one was wildly entertaining and bizarre, and the other one 
was about as much of a fight like is yeah that's that felt more like a fight than a wrestling match yeah. in a good way anything else surprising this was the I guess pseudo retirement of Jerry Sags I didn't realize it happened that this would be the last time we saw him yeah so what is um, I'm trying to think of what happened in 2010 was there like a gimmick match or he something he comes back to TNA Oh, okay. no, I was just thinking, uh, what about Nobs? And, and it's literally only for like one match. So. Yeah. What does Nobs do? Hardcore, baby. He becomes a guy named Hardcore? No, like oh. they start a hardcore... He he just sticks around basically as a jobber for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then once WCW starts a hardcore division after you know WWF has their hardcore stuff working... He's kind of... He's, He's one of the hardcore division guys. Goes back to his Axel Rotten roots. Or Ian Rotten. Whatever. Yeah. Tries to be nasty and rotten at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, he he starts uh, picking up chairs more often. Yes. Philly style. Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. Uh, Oh. This week, the category is 20 questions. It's 20 questions, the question and answer program everyone enjoys. Shane has another shot. Oh, snap. So you got your choice of 1 through 10. 7. Seven is your choice. Okay. Start with 20 points. Each yes or no question takes a point off. Once you guess the correct wrestler, you get that many points. So, ask away. Have they been Intercontinental Champion? No. No, I see. Have they wrestled in Japan? Yes. Okay. In Japan. Have they been in both WCW and WWF? Not at this time. Not at this time. Oh, so yeah, this is between... Up to 93, 94. Okay. Okay. Is it Eddie Guerrero? No. Okay. And just for funsies... Is it Chris Benoit? No. Okay. This is where it's going to get me. This this whole wrestled in Japan thing, not at WCW, WWF at the time. They've been heavyweight champ in Japan. No. Okay. Have they wrestled in ECW? Yes. Okay. Are they white? No. Okay. (laughs) That was a very funny thing. That I was thinking about being a funny question for this. Is it Sabu? No. Okay. Were they ECW champion? Heavyweight champion? No. Okay. TV champion? Yes. Okay. Now I have to remember my 93 to 94 ECW TV champs. Too... Well, no, because Too Cold was in WCW before that. Was Taz TV champ? Is it Taz? No. Okay. I feel like one of those notes might be throwing you. Probably. 
and I don't know if I should say something or not. Yeah, when he asked the question, I was kind of like, that's my throwing, but... Great, so it's the blonde hair situation from last year, eh? I can't think of TV champs <laughs> other than, like, Mikey, but... He's definitely white. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that much. We're on the ECW track. Were they ever an ECW tag champ? I want to say yes, but Matt will make sure. It's more a date check thing than anything oh, else. Oh, you're checking the date. Yeah. No. Not ECW tag champ. Between 93 and 94. Yeah. Up to 94. Up to 94. You should also think of that as well. The date mm-hmm. thing's important. It's up to 94. So I, I think that's what might be throwing you. So one of your questions that you asked means that they may have been somewhere. <laughs> Just not yet. So fine. Is it too cold Scorpio? Correct. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I wanted to be like, at the, he, at the time. At the time. Because he works. Because he actually trained in the New Japan Dojo. Yeah, and he worked, but and he does work WCW. WCW. So what? I said, but he'd already been but, in WCW. But you asked if he if he worked in both companies and ah, not at true. the time. That's why I wanted to point it at the time. Too he hadn't cool. worked both yet. Yeah, he trained in New Japan, and then he debuted in '92 in WCW. He fucked off to ECW. Then went to ECW in '94. <laughs> Didn't win tag team championships until '95. Yeah. That's why I was like, I know it was that, but I was like, yeah, I don't know the dates exactly. So seven points. Yeah. I think that's better than... For Shane? Bagwell. I think better than I did last time, my God. Yeah, last time you went, you maxed I, out. I, yeah, I got zero points. <laughs> you went over last time. Uh, yeah, so. uh, yeah. Next week, Holiday Hell 1996. Aw, hell. It's a holiday in Philadelphia. I don't know. Ho, ho, ho. I was trying to do Holiday in Cambodia. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't think of another clever uh, second line. Music from this week's show is the World War III theme and the giant one. So we play Rock House by FCD Music. Ooh. The NWO music. Yep. And if you like this episode or any of your other ones, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Spotify. Or wherever you find your podcast at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Don't be a jerk. Speaking of five stars, we got a five star review this week. Oh. From Ronan. Well, DM us that address. We'll send you something. Ronan, my dude, over in the UK. Oh, he's in the UK? Yeah. Damn. I'll lose my ass in shipping. <laughs> <laughs> We never said we wouldn't. No. Exactly. Yeah. If you have any questions, comments, concerns. Going back to Philly. Yeah. If if you've got some ideas for food, beverage. It's holiday. Hell, something. You could, uh, yeah. yeah. Throw, throw in a holiday favorite. You could do a figgy pudding. <laughs> Which I don't quite know. I guess it's fig pudding. Never had it. That's extreme. <laughs> that's, that's way too extreme for for my Sunday I in just, Oklahoma. You know, it's holiday. Yeah, because piggy pudding, isn't that like a... No, I'm thinking that. like a, a stiffy top, toffee cake thing. Yeah, I don't know what a piggy, but it's just that... What Christmas song is that, man? 
one of them. I'm here, the yeah. Christmas songs guy. But you know, I can hear the line in your head. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, send us a send us some some ideas. Slide into our DMs over on. God, I hate this fucking name. X. Z status. Yeah. Or find us on our email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com. And like I said, or Z. Zetus. Z. Z. I still call it Twitter. I think everybody probably does. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just Elon, you can't my make phone. me change my vernacular. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But you can find us at Wrestling HistoX. That's Wrestling H I S T O X. We'll talk to you next week. Z. Laters. Z. Z. Really, what it's called? <laughs> it's I had never heard um, anybody say Z. Yet. Uh-uh. I don't really, I don't really know anybody that talks oh, about Z. Oh, Z. Z. Motherfucker.